Welcome to Baking with House of Bread, and I am your host, Sheila McCann. I originally planned on doing all sweeteners that are added into baked goods, from the most common, your granulated sugars, to honey, maple syrup, molasses, brown sugar. And then I started diving into this category and realized that there's a lot more to it. I'm going to devote the most in this podcast to the granulated sugars. And I think we can agree sugars are a very important ingredient in most baked goods. For breads, I would argue it's the flour uh, because you can make bread with just flour, water, yeast, and salt. And whereas the other bakery categories, generally they have some type of sugar. And we all have somewhat of a sweet tooth, some more than others. I happen to be more of a salty, crunchy kind of person. Um, but I definitely do like some sweets as, as well. They not only provide sweetness to baked goods, the sweeteners can also provide structure. It can help retain moisture and it contribute to the different crust colors. Some can also extend shelf life and facilitate the fermentation process to being a whipping and like a creaming aid, especially with like your cookies and whatnot. If you start from the beginning, what is sugar? So sugar is a simple carbohydrate and it's used by our bodies for energy. But the effect sugar has on your body depends on the type of sugar you are consuming. So it's interesting because that's what I firmly believe and I think I have experienced personally. And But I've also read on the internet when I was um, researching this is that it doesn't, your body doesn't, it doesn't matter to your body. So it has it as a sugar. And I really don't think that's true. So what it said is basically the body breaks down all sugars in exactly the same way, irrespective of where it comes from. For example, sucrose in an apple is broken down exactly the same way as the sucrose in your sugar bowl. However, the rate of which the sucrose is absorbed can vary depending on if the source is solid or liquid food. For example, in an apple or an apple juice, right? That makes sense, right? Because if you have apple juice, your body might feel a little bit different than you had an apple. But at the same time is, is that I can tell you that I will have whole wheat cinnamon roll, which really doesn't have that much of a sweetener. I will also have a bran muffin. And I did that podcast on the bran muffin, which we use honey. There's no actually granulated sugar in it. There's a big difference for me. I feel fuller longer when I have a bran muffin. If I have a, a white cinnamon roll, which quite frankly, I like the taste. <laughs> I like the taste of those. But I know that in about two hours, I'm going to be ravishly hungry. I'm going to be kind of tired, like I'm going to go high and low. So so that's my personal experience. And, and I would say, you know, you don't want to believe everything that I say. <laughs> And you don't want to believe for sure everything you read on the internet or what other people say, because I don't think it's necessarily true. So I can give you another example. So one of my franchisees posts this social media, like the baking tip, like they're baking pros, right? You know, they've been open for a few months. <laughs> they might listen to this podcast. So I better be careful here. But uh, it was about how your sourdough starter is the determination of how sour your loaf is. People out there that believe that and they repeat that when it's really not the case. 
The determination of how sour your sourdough loaf is has to do more to do with the length of the fermentation process. So if you do a four-day sourdough, which is our artisan sourdough, that's going to be super tangy because it's four days you're working with that thing. If you do just a straight sourdough, like our sandwich sourdough, it's going to be less, definitely less sour, but it's the same exact starter. And really, the big thing with your starter, it's not how old it is. I can hear people talk, oh, it's like a 100-year-old starter. You know, really, that doesn't matter that much. As long as the starter can leaven the bread, I mean, that's the key thing. So I guess my whole point here is that don't believe everything you hear. And then I'll also tell you kind of a, another story. I have to admit, when I taught my baking classes, we do a whiteboard, and I write on there high fructose corn syrup, and then I'll have um, your sugars, you know, just regular granulated sugar, your just regular corn syrup. And then on the other side, I'll have your honey and your maple syrup, molasses. And so my point at this whole demonstration is to, is to explain to people that your body, like your sugar calories are just, they're just calories. There's no nutritional value in them. Whereas you have nutritional value in your honey and your maple syrup, your molasses. And then in the high fructose corn syrup, what it does, it actually takes nutrients from your body to absorb it. It's a highly processed form. And so what your body does, it, it moves it to the liver because that's kind of your filtering service. So I was 90% right. And where I was wrong, and which I learned researching for this episode, where molasses comes from. And all, <laughs> I hate to admit this, but uh, I thought it came from a tree, just like maple syrup. I don't know, brown liquid form. It just kind of spoke tree to me for some reason. It's interesting because it's actually part of the sugar. And I knew brown sugar had molasses. I thought it had molasses added to it. Well, that's not really correct either. It's because there's actually molasses is in the sugar in its natural state. So I'm going to talk to just real quick about granulated sugar because that's what we're most familiar with. There's, it basically comes from two different sources. It comes from cane sugar, right? So we've seen that cane sugar. And then also, too, it comes from sugar beets. I happen to know this because I grew up in Montana. A lot of farms there were growing sugar beets. That was a crop there because you can grow sugar beets in colder climates and where your sugar canes have to be grown in warmer climates, like Florida in the United States grows a lot of sugar cane, um, and a lot of tropical places will have your sugar canes. And so the sugar cane is basically like a grass. Press it, and then they extract the sugar there. Where your sugar beets, it's, it's like a beet. It's a root, you know, like the carrot. It's in the ground, and that's made differently. But the end result is that you can't distinguish them. So, and here's another little tidbit. I had a vegan customer who was wanting to know about what type of sugar I use and if it was vegan. And I'm like, isn't sugar kind of vegan? I thought it all both came from a plant, whether it be the cane sugar or the sugar beets. Well, it turns out that they use a bone char in the processing of the sugar cane. If you are extremely strict vegan, then you want to get sugar that is made with sugar beets. Back to the beginning. There's natural sugars, right? And those are sugars that are naturally occurring in food. It's something that it's not manufactured, right? 
they exist in their own natural states. So that would be an example like honeys, you know, that comes from bee. Maple syrup comes from the sap of maple trees. And stevia is made from the plants, uh, the leaves of the plant stevia. And then fructose occurs naturally in fruits. But fructose can be a little bit tricky because it's not always a natural sugar. It also can be included in processed foods. So if you see it on the ingredient list of processed foods, it's acting as an added sugar. And then there's sugars in milks, like your lactose, and that's milk and cheese and whatever else. Okay, the next category, so you got natural sugars, and then you have refined sugars. And basically, these are your processed sugars. These are all added sugars. They're added to food when the food is prepared, made, or manufactured. And there's many different kinds of refined sugars. I think the most common one that we know is granulated sugar. And that's generally what we're thinking of when we refer to sugar. Uh, this is also called your table sugar. And that's most often what we use in baking. So more on added sugars. So refined sugars are always added sugars, right? Because that's what we add. Natural sugars are not always added sugars, but they can be. For example, a piece of fruit like a nectarine contains natural sugars, but it's not an added sugar. On the other hand, honey and natural sugar is considered an added sugar when it's added to foods. I mean, I don't know where that gets us, but it's just kind of interesting how they break it down in those categories. You know, you'd be the own judge how your body feels, what sugars it eats and which ones it doesn't. We can agree that <laughs> we probably eat too much sugar, okay? So, I mean, it can be found in everything. I mean, people, especially in America, you know, your sodas, your sweets, your processed foods, and a lot of it can lead to, you know, your obesity, your tooth decay, heart disease, cancer, type 2 diabetes, all that stuff that's not good. Research, according to the internet, so I'll is what they say that we as Americans eat 55 to 92 grams of added daily sugar, which basically is about, it's like a third to a half a cup of table sugar every day. And it represents somewhere around 15% of our calorie intake. Dietary guidelines for America recommends 10%. And then the World Health Organization, of course, goes a step further, recommending 5% in calories come from added sugar for optimal health. I, you know, I kind of look at this way is that um, I don't want to have a perfect diet. I don't really want to have a perfect life. <laughs> I want to have like scars and I might want to, you know, have, um, you know, that's called living, right? And so living, I want to have some treats here and there. Can you reduce sugar in recipes? Let's say you're really trying to avoid sugar for one, whatever, one reason or another. It, you know, really depends upon the recipe. And some baking, such as your quick breads and you know, your cakes and your muffins, all that good stuff. It really is an essential ingredient for providing the right moisture and texture. Chemistry of sugar, it attracts water molecules. So cutting it out can make your baked goods maybe too tough or dry or both. You want to cut back sort of sparingly. And so what I would do is start by reducing by 25%. See if there's any difference in texture. So if you take a recipe and you reduce 25% of sugar, let's say that ends up being, you know, whatever, a cup or something, whatever amount it is, then you may, you have to account for that by adjusting, you have to add either another drier ingredient, right? Like your flour or reduce somewhat of a liquid. And, and really what I do in the bakeries, I kind of, kind of do a combination of both. So when I first got my blueberry muffin recipe, this is like 27 years ago, people 
I had hired a consultant and the blueberry muffin was like way too sweet for me. And it was, yeah. So I didn't like it that much and there was, wasn't enough blueberries. So I ended up doing half the amount of sugar that was called for in that recipe. And of course I doubled the amount of blueberries. But what I did, because I reduced the amount of sugar, I upped, like, let's say, for example, just for purposes of making my point here, is that if you reduce it by a cup, what I did is that I added a half a cup more of flour to, to make the consistency right. And then I subtracted a half a cup of the butter and egg combination. So your eggs are basically... It's five eggs in a cup. So I think I reduced it by like maybe one or two eggs and then a little bit of butter. So in other words, I guess my whole point in this, I mean, I know you're not guys aren't making recipes I hear, but here's the point. You can reduce the sugar by 25%, but try to make up for it and detracting a little more of the liquid. Um, I find if you um, delete like, well, whatever amount of sugar and you just replace it with flour, well, you're also affecting the flavor, Right. So a lot of these flavors, and it's not just sugar that can give you sweetness, but your eggs, you know, and your butter, there's a flavor component um, and texture. So so that's what I try to do um, at House of Bread. I, you know, we're kind of more of a healthier bakery, but trust me, we've got full fat and lots of sugar and a lot of things. So it's not like I'm touting here. And I give people what they want to buy. It's not up to me to, you know, tell them what they should and shouldn't eat. But I do think you can, it's easier to cut out some of the things in baked goods, like putting sugar on top of cookies. Um, I had a baker that kept doing that. I'm like, no, man, don't do that. I don't really want to have sugar on top of my cookies. I just kind of want, I mean, there's enough sugar in the cookies. (laughs) And then another one thought that they would put sugar on top of the scones. I'm like, no, scones aren't really supposed to be sweet. You know, they're supposed to be more creamy, all right? It's kind of more supposed to be like a biscuit texture. You know, once again, then I got somebody else that puts sugar on top of the um, blueberry muffin. I'm like, no, I just took sugar out of that recipe. <laughs> but it's funny how you, these how bakers are, you know, not all of them, but a lot of them. They start like thinking, oh, it'll taste better if I do this, that and the other thing. But I've, I've got a pretty good palate and I, and, and I have also a lot of regular customers, too. And they ask me what, what's different about the recipe. And I'm like, oh, I don't think so. And then I got to go double check and see if they screwed anything out. But sugar is an easy one to see if they added extra. So anyway, so an easy way to reduce it is just reduce the added sugar that you put on top. All right, here's another example of something that was wrong on the internet. It said that you cannot reduce sugar in recipes using yeast. Yeast requires the sugar to activate. That is not true. (laughs) It can be the sugars that are in the flour, okay? So you don't have to have... Yeah, sure. I mean, most of these, because obviously they don't bake with bread, because if they knew that, there's a lot of breads that just have flour, water, yeast, and salt. Okay? That's your ciabatta. That's your French baguettes. You know, your Italian breads. I mean, they're not made with added sugars, and they the bread gets leavened and whatever else. So that's another example of something that I just uncovered on the internet. I thought, well, what the heck are they talking about? So back to how sugar is manufactured. So on the sugar cane, basically it gets to the mill and they wash the stalks and then they cut it into shreds and then it's pressed using big, huge rollers. They press it out and then the juice is separated from the plant material. 
this is the liquid that they're going for. And then they boil it until it crystallizes. And then finally, the crystals are separated from uh, the liquid using a, a centrifuge yielding raw sugar. So centrifugal force, if you remember that from science, they basically use that type of spinning action to get the liquid out of there. And then you get your raw sugar. So the sugar beets, they're basically sliced and soaked in hot water to extract the sugar. That's where that plant stores its sugar. It's not in the stalks, but it's in the root. And the juice from both plants basically is filtered, boiled, and crystallized to form sugar crystals. It's when it gets into the mill is when things get changed. Molasses, I now know, is not from a tree. It's actually in the plant. So it's in the sugar cane, the sugar beet. There's some molasses in there. And, and so the white sugar is they remove all of the molasses out of it. Brown sugar retains some of the molasses, and that's what gives it its darker color. And so how dark it is, so it, it retains more of the molasses if it's a dark brown sugar. If it's a light brown, they remove some of it. And then it comes to the size of the crystals. This is remind me of um, similar to flowers, right? So you, how fine you mill the flower. And so the same thing with these sugars, the large crystals, if you think of like the coarse sugar, like the decorating sugars or turbinado sugar, and then you have granulated sugar, which is obviously the most common. You can find super fine sugar, but it's not really that common. And it's just really a finer version of the granulated sugar. Then you have your powdered sugar or confectionery sugar or your fondant sugar. So this is basically, it's how they, and I'm going to give you a recipe for how to make powdered sugar. Um, in case you're ever out or you want to have some powdered sugar, it's pretty easy to make if you've got a Vitamix. So we have a, um, it's a super high powered blender. And you could probably use, I've heard of people using like a coffee grinder or a word processor or a food processor, not a word processor. What you do is just put your cup of, of sugar in and then you just grind away and it'll come, it'll make powdered sugar. And if you're going to use it right away, that's all you need to do. It's just grind it all up. That's all powdered sugar is. Uh, but commercial powdered sugars, and if you're going to store the powdered sugar, then you need to add cornstarch. And um, so basically cornstarch prevents it from all caking up. The portion of there would be one tablespoon to one cup. Or in other words, it's 16 to one. So if you wanted to use a different type of measuring system, Think 16 to 1. So 16 of your granulated sugar to one part of your cornstarch. And then you can make your own powdered sugar. Oh, the other thing about some sugars is they melt differently. And so we used to do our cinnamon swirl loaf. So we would use a white sugar with cinnamon. And we put it in the middle of the dough and then roll it up, kind of like a sleeping bag. But the, the deal was, is that we were end up sometimes with like big, huge chunks of sugar um, that were in the bread. And what we found out is if you use a brown sugar, it melts more so and it doesn't clump up like that. You can interchange in some recipes. Once again, everything's recipe dependent, your white and brown sugar. Um, but I firmly believe for baking, like your brown sugar can do a lot more so. So we use, tend to use, I tend to gravitate towards brown sugar. 
So for example, we have a recipe called apple blossoms. It's like a phyllo dough. It's brown sugar and a little cinnamon and apples. And then I use brown sugar in the cinnamon rolls. And then again, um, and I happen to like the taste of brown sugar better for whatever reason. So I have it in, um, it's kind of more earthy to me, I guess. Um, so we have it in some cookies that we use the brown sugar. You know, you know, it, it can be taste dependent too. But your super raw sugars, the one that they use for decorating a lot, which I don't allow in my bakery, basically that turbinado sugar. Um, I had one of the bakers that wanted to buy it to bake this cookie. And I'm like, well, no, I don't want to put that stuff on top. Um, but it doesn't melt. That was also the other kind of interesting thing. So it kind of stays in its natural um, kind of thick raw sugar state. So I will do another podcast more on the liquid sugars um, and talk a little bit more about those and how those can be used in the baked goods. But I think with anything, you know, there uh, there's ways to go about trying to leave, uh, leave just basically a balanced life. I mean, that's kind of what it's here. It's here to be enjoyed. And, and, you know, and that's what baked goods are for. Baked goods are, you know, they don't have to be like the only thing you eat, but it's definitely can be part of a healthy diet. And so on that note... Um, I'd like to get some more listener questions. So I'm working on an episode and I had a few people that emailed me just basically questions. So I was going to bring that up in a podcast because maybe somebody else had the same type of questions. Anything that you can think of that you've had questions about. And if I don't know the answer, I'm going to tell you I don't know the answer <laughs> or I might look it up for you and tell you that it's there's a. Uh, it's not really known. There's people have different opinions about it. Um, but anyway, I would appreciate any questions you have. And then I'll come up with an episode on that. Um, and I'm also working on another episode. It's going to be about some of the trips I've taken. So what does that have to do with baked goods? Well, I'm going to do my energy bar because here's the reality is um, everywhere from Iceland to I did the tour of Mont Blanc which you hit Switzerland, Italy, and France. And then I just got back from Patagonia. I like to go backpacking. So that's what I kind of was doing. Anyway, the gist is, um, it was interesting to me, the different baked goods in these, these countries. Um, and then when you get into the mountains, they all kind of go downhill. So I'm going to cover that a little bit more and then give you the recipe for my energy bars. Because that's what you want to take when you travel. Because they give you really good sustained energy. And just FYI, there's no sugar in it, but there is honey, and honey is part of the sugar family. So I will cover that in another episode. And yeah, so any questions you got, send to Sheila at houseofbread.com. And on that note, everybody, happy baking.